This is the Canadian Investor, where you take control of your own portfolio and gain the confidence you need to succeed in the markets. Hosted by Braden Dennis and Simon Belanger. The Canadian Investor Podcast. Today is September 27th, 2022. My name is Braden Dennis, as always, joined by the exquisite Simon Belanger. I got a thesaurus going of adjectives. <laughs> I don't know if you if you noticed that. Simon, I have a question for you before we start recording. Yeah, go for it. You've seen all financial news, media, everything's talking about currencies, right? Yeah. yeah. It's all that people <laughs> care about all of a sudden. Everyone is a macroeconomic expert, by the way. Yeah, it seems like everyone is uh, since the start of 2022, to be honest, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's interesting what's happening with pretty much all currencies except the U.S. dollar, and I'm sure you're you're going to be talking about that. But it kind of goes back to what we were talking, I think, last week about diversifying your portfolio a bit away from the Canadian dollars, and that's you know we're seeing right now why. Yeah, we talk about that all the time. The importance of not having that home bias and lacking exposure to U.S. stocks, and just as a result, USD, the currency by association. As a result of holding those U.S. securities, you know this is this is why we say that so much, right? Like your income's in a currency, your you know house maybe attached to that currency. You got to be associated with the U.S. economy in some way or another. Is my like hard opinion on that? Do you ever just think about this? When's the last time you've had a bunch of toonies and loonies? Because for me, cash is extinct. For in my like, I'm like total card or paying on my phone type of thing now like entirely i actually have probably 200 dollars worth of toonies and loonies because i can't when i was younger and i like never took the time to deposit them at the bank i would like withdraw a certain amount every week and that was my spending money and then whenever i got change i would not actually use it i would just keep it and then that money would go towards a trip so that's that was kind of my system. So yeah, that's literally what my dad does. And he's a big fan of the podcast, by the way. He's gonna he's gonna be smiling ear to ear right now, and save it for a trip. Yeah, yeah. Because remember, like I used to keep quarters, loonies, tonies, you know that kind of thing. And then all of a sudden, you're like holding like it's like kind of heavy, you know, like you're like, like arms weighed down by the amount of tonies you're holding, and you're like whoa, this is $150? Like, that seems, <laughs> it seems so absurd. I honestly don't know the last time I held a, like, actual toonie. Is that bad? Like, that seems weird to me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, the only time I've used them recently is I went to a home poker game, and it was useful when we were cashing out to have, like, toonies to break down the some of the right. chips. But, yeah, I'm actually old enough to remember the $2 bills. I don't think you – I think that was before your time. It was before my time in terms of actually using them. Yeah. 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 But I'm too young for the $1 bills. Those I'm yeah. – When did they phase out of Canadian I think it must have been, bill. like, 92, 93, if I vaguely remember. 94, maybe. Because I was in elementary school. The two dollar bill was phased out in nineteen ninety six. Okay, I was around, but I wasn't. I wasn't throwing cash around. You know, <laughs> I was <laughs> just give me candy. Okay, so currencies. On that same note, we'll just touch on it quickly and talk about it, and then we'll get into some company news. Because as y'all know, last year everyone was a investing stock picking genius, and then this year on the way down, everyone's a, a macroeconomic expert, and so. We'll touch on the news, but at the end of the day, we want to touch on 
real business results, real companies, real long-term thinking. And so we'll get into that as soon as we address the currency thing. So officially, Simone, everyone knows what it feels like to own a junk shit coin. It's called <laughs> any currency other than <laughs> any other currency than the USD. I think every, like, you know, the Japanese yen, the, the British pound was the one that had the huge drop, the euro, like they've all pegged to the USD, just gotten annihilated. And so I've always said this, like, I don't pretend to be some macro expert. I think that most of it's a waste of time for long-term investors, but I've always said that there's almost no incentive for the US Fed to not act the way they do, kind of recklessly printing money. And it is because even in the face of intense inflation, like they have, their ability to keep the currency so strong and basically raise rates to combat that and then inflict stagflation upon the rest of the world is unmatched. The basic level here is the very basic to it is traditionally during uncertain economic times, recessionary periods, you actually have really, really strong demand for the strongest currency, aka the US dollar. And especially when the US Fed raises rates, so you have strong demand for the USD. The British pound dropped 20% this year pegged to the USD. And so, I mean, there's a variety of factors at play here, but a strong USD, I mean, it's measured, this is a measure against the USD, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're all measured. It's a reserve currency for a reason. You measure everything compared in USD. Obviously, you can take Canadian dollars and measure it to other currencies. But at the end of the day, let's be honest, no one really cares except Canadians when it comes to that. The global, the world looks at US dollar. And then as the Fed is increasing interest rates, makes the US dollars and US treasuries even more interesting for investors. So that's why Cause they can get a return there. Exactly. Plus, you have the safety component where it's the reserve currency. So it puts even more yeah. pressure on other currencies like Canadian dollar, British pound, euros, Japanese yen, the Australian dollar, name it, it puts more pressure because then they have to raise rates. But they would technically have to raise rates even higher than the U.S. to make their currency more attractive. Because if you're on par, you know, the U.S. will still win because of that safety perception, you know, of U.S. treasuries. So the loonie, the Canadian dollar, actually has gained on other major currencies on a trailing 12-month basis. Despite, you know, you go on Google and you do USD CAD conversion and you're like, oh boy, lowest I've seen it in a long time. Yet against other major currencies... Trailing 12 months, the Canadian dollar got stronger against the Japanese yen by 25%, gained 15% on the British pound, 13% on the euro, which I enjoyed very much when I went to Europe recently. I was like, whoa, this is like not that much different than the Canadian dollar anymore. Like it's a little bit, but it, it used to feel a lot more expensive to go to Europe if traveling as Canadian. But it's weakened to 73 cents this morning, as of this morning on the USD, which is around down 9% during that time. Other very recent factors include a little bit of softer commodity prices in the very short term compared to maybe three to six months ago. There's no real actionable insight except for what we preface this with is limit the home bias. If you're listening to this in Canada, if you're listening to this in Australia, Greece, Portugal, 
I know. I, we look at the analytics. There's people who listen to this podcast very regularly all across the globe, including the U.S., which we thank you very much for listening to two Canadian lads rifle off on the podcast here. You can't not have exposure to the U.S. economy. It seems so risky to me for a variety of reasons. And this is exactly why. Yeah, yeah. And for me to the point that now for at least two, three months, I've actually been saving a little bit of money as my savings account in USD. And what I've been using because I have a lot of room in my TFSC. So there's two options that I found that are pretty good. There's Bill, ticker Bill, which is a money market ETF. So they hold short-term US treasuries. So one to three months doesn't fluctuate. You get, I think, about 2.53% as of right now. And the other one, is a Canadian listed one, but it's in USD. So it's PSU-U.TO, the Purpose US Cash Fund. And this one is yielding like 3.4% on USD. So there are some options if people are looking just to hold a little bit of uh, you know, US dollars, even if it's for their emergency fund or something like that. There are some options where you can actually get a little bit of yield as well. Yeah. Thanks for bringing that up because you're looking at it as like actual cash reserves, yeah. which I think is wise. For me, I'm mostly thinking just by association of owning US securities. On the currency perspective and the selection of businesses available on the US exchange, if you have been investing in Canada or your international country, if you your country internationally outside of Canada, and you have been hesitant to make the leap and buy stocks, buy securities not listed in your country. Make the leap. Do it. <laughs> like Seriously, consider stepping out of your biases. And I think that you will be very happy about it in 10 to 15 years. All right, Simon, let's kick it off. We got big old Costco here. Yeah. I knew you'd beat me to the punch <laughs> on the results here, but so uh, we'll, we'll both be happy to chime in here. One we always cover, one we'll continue to cover, and what a business. Yeah, I mean, Costco had a great quarter, and I'll stick Q4 here, and I think you'll agree with me. The reason why I want to stick to Q4 results and not really look at their full-year results all that much, and trust me, the full-year are very good as well, is because... You know, Q4 of this year really compares well to other retailers that recently reported. And it's in the last, you know, pretty much three months. I can't remember the exact period. I think it was probably a month ago that it finished around there. I don't have it in front of me. But the reason I wanted to stick with that is we've really seen inflation picked up. Whereas if we looked at the full year, the fiscal year results, the full year for them, then the first two quarters, I would go as long, you know, I would actually say first two quarters, the other retailers were doing quite well. So you aren't able to, you know, differentiate Costco as much. So I think Q4 is actually a really good one to to compare with other retailers. Would you agree with that? I agree. It, it was good. Yes and no. Yeah. Yes and no, because this is just a retailer firing on just a different level, it feels, than every other type of retail model 
And that's what makes it so special. Yeah, and the full year they, you know, they beat all their big counterparts. But you know, where you're really seeing the difference, I think, is recent quarters where you know we've seen Walmart struggle, Target struggle with inventory and prices, and you know having higher costs. And you'll see here Costco is not having those issues. So revenues were up 15% to 72 billion. Comparable sales were up 16% in the U.S. and 13% in Canada. International was lower because you just talked about it of currency exchange. It was 2.9% higher, but if you factor in a foreign exchange, it was actually 11% higher. Membership revenues, which is what makes Costco's model so great, they were up 7.5% for the quarter and 9% for the year. And that's really impressive and really shows that people are valuing the value proposition here because. Keep in mind, Costco has not raised the membership fees since 2017, and they typically do it every five years or so. And despite not raising the fees, the membership revenues was still up nine percent for the year. But during the conference call, management said that they have no specific plans for membership fee increase. I think. You know, they didn't elaborate too much. I did not listen to the question period, so it's possible there was a question regarding that. But my sense here is that people, you know, are being stretched out in terms of their budget with inflation and everything. And I think they're probably taking the approach that, you know, maybe wait a little bit. If they're doing well, they don't need that increase right now. Maybe push it back a year or two. Yep. No. Totally makes sense. I just think that you know, every six seven years they do that membership hike. It seems insensitive right now. I think that's probably why they're just going to hold off. But I think within the next sixteen to twenty-four months, I would say with a very high level of certainty, they'll be hiking that membership price. Yeah, exactly. And I think you know Costco's always a bit like that, right? They tend to compensate their employees better than other retailers, offer better benefits, and so on. And I think it's just. A smart decision here by leadership to say, you know what, we're doing really well. You know, we could increase them and probably would not lose many members, but we'll get some good. You know, I think it's just some good PR to be honest, and I think it's probably the right thing to do too. Now, getting back to the results, operating expenses increased fifteen percent, which is actually really good because the revenues increased fifteen percent. So it's right in line with that. With other retailers, we've actually seen the opposite: revenues increase, but operating expenses actually increase far more, and that's where the margin starts reducing. Earnings per share increased 12% for the quarter. The full statements aren't out yet, but I'm assuming it still looks good on a free cash flow basis. There's no reason to have concerns there. And renewal rates were very impressive. At the end of Q4, they had 92.6% renewal rate for U.S. and Canada, and 90.4% for the rest of the world. And that's in line with past years. It's always around like the 90, 91%, even when they increase their membership fees. Now. Member carholders increased six percent year over year, and they have plans to open twenty six new stores in the upcoming fiscal year. Are we idiots? Do you don't own shares? Do you? No, I don't. Yes, I feel like an idiot for not owning them. <laughs> are we idiots? Like, are we like seriously stupid for not owning this stock? I think about this way too often. I'm starting to think that the answer to that question is yes. Probably. I mean. 
it's just it's always a high valuation right but again yeah it's like how do i buy a retailer at 37 times earnings like i I get that it's like mm -hmm. how does that make sense right but then again you look at these results and you compare them with their large competitors and you know you understand why there it comes at a premium yeah the levers for growth are so easy to understand this company you talked about this with the employees too right is they were very vocal from their founding story and and now with Craig Jelinek who runs the business they have been very vocal about how they run their public company and the three you know stakeholders of shareholders investors and i guess those are the same things shareholders employees and what would be the other one I'm blanking here most companies the community maybe i don't know <laughs> i'm blanking here most Public companies are like shareholders, 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 you know, like make Wall Street happy, right? They have been very clear about how important it is to reverse that order of importance for stakeholders and shareholders get rewarded. And you've seen that with how they treat their employees, how they compensate them, the kind of low turnover that they get in a retail model. It's just different. And so all these reasons and these results are just different, a different kind of level of performance and execution compared to other retailers. And then I look at the multiple and I go, of course, of course, it, you know, the multiples like twice what anything else is. And so I'm starting to think that I should probably correct my stupidity and and buy shares. At some point, I probably will. Yeah. And the last thing I'll I'll add here for me is, if you're a Costco member for the, you know, please, I beg you, put your cart on the side when you go and grab something. Don't <laughs> leave it in the middle of the aisle. I mean, I go to Costco once a month maybe, and every single time there's like three or four people that like almost leave it like sideways in the middle of the aisle and then I have to like push it aside and they look at me like, oh, oops. It's like, oh. And the cards are yeah, they, like, so play big. Dumb a bit. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was my little rant at the end there. I just reminded myself the third stakeholder being the customer. Yeah, okay. So sta- stakeholder, <laughs> customers, investors, and employees are people you know at the company, and so they've kind of reversed those orders and really put customers first, of course, and employees first. You know, one A, one B, and then as a result of that, the shareholders get heavily rewarded because the the business is executing well. All right. Uh, another U.S. large cap name. We just talked about Costco. We talked about FedEx. Simon, over to the next uh, far we are. A couple weeks out before we have lots yeah. lots of it's variety of earnings to, to talk about. In. Yeah. 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 And so we'll have tons of Canadian TSX names there as well. We do have one TSX name here on the list as well. FedEx. So a week out of earnings, you touched on this last week. FedEx drops a bomb like, hey, by the way, we updated our guidance one week out and it sucks. And so then I was thinking, I was like, okay, is this an economy thing? Because it's thought of as a bellwether business or is it a FedEx thing? Because UPS has objectively had some wonderful and outright better execution than FedEx, from my opinion. So the results came out and sequentially across each segment, express, ground, freight, services, down slightly. But year over year, still single digit growth across the board and guiding for, you know, flat to a few percentages up for next quarter as well. And so 
The one thing that I find very interesting, not so much because I care about FedEx, but just because it is a bellwether. So on stratosphere.io, you can see here on the doc, got a screenshot of some interesting KPIs that they disclose. Total average daily package volume has been decreasing very consistently since the peak of February of 2021. So that was like peak e-commerce deliveries, right? And now it's gone from 7,011 to 5,506 and that, that'd be in millions. So that's the daily package volume really dropped down. You've seen daily freight pounds kind of track on the same level. So this really granular data, it's nice to track. You get the data visualization. So you should go on stratosphere.io, type in FedEx, you'll see it. But this stock has been hammered, absolutely hammered. I think it's now 30%, trades like 10 times earnings. Maybe maybe it feels a little too cheap. This feels like a stock that's going to end up on Buffett's 13F next quarter. I don't know why. I just have this feeling, bold prediction. This is on Buffett's 13F next quarter. Not that I think like FedEx is like super interesting, but it just feels so cheap for, you know, one of the kind of become core infrastructure assets in their country. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, if you look at that, you can pretty much trace with peak lockdowns too, right? I think, yep. you know, people, probably a combination of people getting used to order online and then lockdowns, you know, coming back on again, I think November, February 20, November 2020, February 2021. That was kind of the peak for that. But yeah, I agree with you. It could be a good value stock, but, you know, you can make a case it could still continue going down just on the base that most metrics show the economy yeah, like slowing. What's the catalyst? Yeah, exactly. The global economy is going down. In Canada, I know we had, I think, uh, some recent data saying that total retail sales were down a couple percentage point in the low single digits. So that's some indicator that, you know, those numbers may not be improving anytime soon. So if anyone's interested in it, I would probably suggest, you know, dollar cost averaging because I wouldn't be surprised if this keeps going down a bit. Okay, now moving on here, I wanted to talk like we're seeing a lot of banks adjusting their predictions for the uh, price target for the S&P 500 or, you know, stocks in general. I think I just saw one saying that uh, I think it's Morgan Stanley saying that overall earnings are going to be continue trending down now. For the Goldman Sachs price target here, they cut their outlook for the S&P 500 to 3,600 points, down from 4,300 points until the end of the year. For reference, the S&P 500 closed below 3,700 last Friday, so we're recording on Tuesday now. I think it's a bit lower now. They're arguing that high rates will weigh on valuations of U.S. equities, and it also said that there would be more downside if the U.S. enters a recession. Now, I wanted to talk about that because it's easy to hear this in panic. And obviously, there's some there's a headline on CNBC or any major financial media about this almost every day, it seems. And I think it's safe to assume that there will be some shorter term headwinds to the economy, whether it's globally, Canada or the U.S., but keep in mind that banks are notoriously wrong about price targets. And second, even if they are right or 
say they are wrong and there's even more downside that they're saying, it really doesn't matter as long as your investing timeline is long enough because they tend to look at, you know, this is until the end of the year. If you're investing for the next 10, 15, 20 years, like you don't really care until, you know, what happens now until the end of the year. And keep in mind, too, that the S&P 500 dipped below 2,400 points in March of 2020. Even if it goes down another 20% from here, you're still at just around 2,900 points. Now, that level would still be 20% higher than the lows of March of 2020. So you can pick and choose data however you want to make it look, of course. But I just wanted to give these examples because most mainstream financial media will focus on what is terrible because that's what sells. That's what gets highballs. And what clicks, baby. It's all clicks. Exactly. And, you know. Will things get worse in the short or medium term? You can definitely make the case that it will. But looking at history, things should get much better in the long term. And keep that in mind when you read all the gloom and doom information on the news. You have to put things in perspective. And oftentimes, they'll pick and choose data to make it look really bad. So make sure that you keep that perspective and don't be afraid to zoom out as well. Let's just take in the fact that how many employees worked on this piece for <laughs> Goldman Sachs. How many how many people worked on their price target for the S&P 500? <laughs> you know, like JP Morgan had their predictions for the rate hikes that that the Fed released what now however many days ago. It's an absolute time warp. <laughs> so they're like, okay, so there's going to be there's one of two scenarios that are going to happen. There is either going to be you know, 75 basis points and the S&P 500 is set to have potentially its best day in a long time. Or it's a full percentage point and it's going to be the worst day ever. And so I'm like, it's like <laughs> your two outcomes that you guys came up with are the best ever or the worst ever. And both were wrong. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> both were wrong. Because what ended up happening is they went out with 75 basis points, but then they gave their long-term outlook on the interest rates that they think will happen. The Fed did that, and it was worse than investors expected. So then the S&P dropped. So it's kind of funny that both were wrong. It's, you know, like I'm going to be like classic like dad joke here, but it, it's like the weather, man. These macro predictions is like the weather. Doesn't matter if you're right. It doesn't matter if you're wrong. No one cares. And no one knows what they're doing. No one knows what they're talking about. Like, I don't understand why people put so much weight into this stuff. And, and the market puts so much weight into it too. And sometimes I feel like, am I stupid for not putting any weight into what these people have to say? And then these things happen. I'm like, <laughs> oh yeah, that's why. Like, no one knows what they're talking about. That's great. Yeah, so <laughs> it's just what another piece of, of noise among hopefully looking for signal. Would you agree with that? Yeah, yeah, I think so. And that's why like, I feel like I'm beating uh, that. I don't know what the, <laughs> I'm trying to look at. <laughs> What's that saying? Is oh, man, I don't know. Beating, beating, beating the dead horse. Beating a is dead that, horse. There you what go. does that even mean? I don't know, but I feel beating like I'm a beating horse. a dead horse on saying like, that's why dollar cost averaging is so great. Even having a little bit of cash on the sidelines because, you know, you just keep buying, buying, buying. And then if you get like these really sharp drops in short time span, you can be even more strategic and just add to your positions. You won't be able to time it. 
So the dollar cost average just takes care of that. And when you do see opportunity, having just a little bit of cash will allow you to really pounce on opportunities. It says here, I just looked it up because I feel like I've said the term and not really known what it means. A waste of time without a positive outcome. Well, That's perfect. Hopefully, I, I didn't waste people's time with that. <laughs> no, no. But yeah. we're saying that that whole industry is that. Mm. Like kind of by definition. One, to keep talking about a subject that has already been discussed or decided. Dude, this whole podcast, we're just beating the dead horse all the time. Accenture Q4. So Accenture is the large consulting company, the technology consulting company, and they are dominating. This company is gigantic now. They're touching, they're like intermingled and stuck out their octopus arms into every large company around the world now. Like, you know, the Fortune 2000 type companies. They reported their full year results. Revenues are up 15% for the quarter, 22% for the full year. Earnings per share, 18%. So yeah, more of this like high single, high double digits, low 20% type top line and earnings per share, new bookings, free cash flow, like the metrics that matter for this company. And they just keep getting it done. New bookings was up 21%. So think of that as like work that they've booked that they're going to perform, whether it's outsourcing, consulting, these kinds of services. It's a service business. 15% on increase on the dividend. They expect revenue to grow 8% for their next fiscal year. It's nothing crazy, but it's guidance, right? They're probably playing it conservative. Set it there, hopefully deliver mid-double digits type numbers. I wouldn't be surprised if that's what they're thinking. It's more of the same greatness from this great company. And they have been low-key acquisitive. They've been buying up so many firms over the past few years. Moving forward... The reality is that even in tougher economic times, these large companies are still and increasingly spending on digital transformation and making sure that they are ready for the next 20, 50 years digitally, whether it be their infrastructure, their cybersecurity, just their workflows. Because consulting out these types of large digital infrastructure projects and training, it just doesn't make sense when you don't have the expertise in-house. So it's just a bit of a no-brainer. And Accenture is the name in town. New bookings, you see here on stressfear.io, we, we track all the stuff I talked about. But consulting bookings, outsourcing bookings, and you add that up, you get new bookings. Look at at how much they're incrementally faster growing every year. So 10 years ago, they had new bookings of $32 billion in work that they booked in 2012. In 2022, that is $72 billion in new bookings, 71.7. So they are accelerating the pace of winning new work. And that is a trend that I can see happening even further past year. It's like, what's the market cap on a center today? I know it's high. Let me check it out here. Center is $162 billion in market cap. I think it was like 220 at one point. Yeah, it's the stock's down like almost 40% because it's bundled into that like tech play. Now this thing's trading at 23 times earnings. The PE's, yeah, 23 and a half. 
getting very interesting for a very high quality company here. Yeah, you know, if it keeps going down a bit, it'll reach 2% dividend soon. Yeah, which seems kind of crazy for a company growing this fast and hiking the dividend 15% year over year. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it must be all those Twitter ads I've been getting from Accenture. <laughs> have you been getting those too? I get them on LinkedIn. Oh, I get them on Twitter. I'm like, man, they must have a lot of money to spend on ads because I am not the right target <laughs> audience, that's for sure. Well, they generated $8.8 billion in free cash flow in their, their fiscal 22. Okay, so they, they can help Elon a bit with some ad revenue. Yeah, they can they can throw them some ad revenue their way. By the way, that's coming up soon on the court uh, case. I think it's in October. Everyone's kind of forgotten about it. Yeah. I don't even know what's happening anymore. Yeah, it's going, but now they have like the whistleblower and stuff. I'll have to look it up on the next earnings that uh, we can give a quick update to what's happening. No, nah, that just the whole Twitter thing reminded me of that. No, it's a good call. I kind of forgot that that's even happening. So I think Elon hopes that everyone kind of forgets too, including the regulators. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So yeah, next up here, actually a big Elon supporter, Kathy Wood, without the S, gives up a portfolio manager. <laughs> Kathy Woods. <laughs> she gave up a portfolio manager role at two of her firm's ETFs. Now, Will Scherer, Will Scherer, I feel like I'm butchering his name, but he's been appointed as the fund manager for the company's two index funds, ARC 3D Print ETF, ticker PRNT, and ARC Israel Innovative ETF, ticker IZRL. He will be replacing Wood in that role. In case you were wondering, both indices, so it, they are index funds, they are from German index engineering firm Solactive. Never heard of them. Have you ever heard of them? So these are, they have two ETFs. They're index print funds. And, yeah. Index ETF. Well, yeah. well, they're not indexes. I mean, that's what they're claiming. And it's this, you know, niche index from this German. Well, they're ETF. Yeah. yeah. They're ETFs. I call them an index is kind of ridiculous. But so Kathy managed these before. Under, yeah. I didn't even know about these ones because I knew about the no, genomics one. And the, and a, yeah. Okay. So they're just small ones they're and she's punting one. them off to Yeah, exactly. Okay, okay. And earlier in the month, ARC also named Brett Winton Chief Futurist. This is the first. <laughs> what, a, what is that title? I know. Just, Chief Futurist? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I, so like you just you just wake up every day. It's like, hey, Brett, what, it's do, a great title, what do you though. do? <laughs> What do you do? Uh, I am the future. Yeah. And they're like, what does that mean? And they just walk away. Yeah. And it's actually the first ever <laughs> role of that sort at ARC. And a lot of people were saying that he might be a potential successor. But now, you know, there is some talk that it could be Will Schurer that's been appointed uh, to manage those two ETFs. Now, Ark and Kathy Wood have been getting a lot of flag because the fact that Kathy Wood has so many responsibilities and not having a really good succession plan in place, this looks like they may slowly be giving more responsibilities to people that have been closely working with her. And I don't follow Ark very closely. You know, I'm aware of them. We've talked about them a little bit, but uh, I didn't realize Kathy Wood was 66 years old. So it's probably She's 66. Yeah, yeah. I Googled that because that's I would, a compliment to her because I didn't no, know No, I that. thought she was in her 50s. Yeah, I did not think she was. Doesn't look a day over 64. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I thought I thought she was younger. So that's why, like, when I was reading that, I Googled her age. Be, you know, someone in their 60s that, you know, she's the face of 
Arc, right? So I think it's a smart thing to, you know, whatever you think about Arc, it's definitely a... Yeah, because she doesn't want to retire out of the blue and then fun flows just evaporate exactly. because the name's not behind it. Yeah, right? so I think whatever you think about it, I think it's still a good thing to have a succession plan in place. Now, the two ETFs I mentioned are actually down quite a bit. It's not surprising. Tech has been hit really hard, and obviously Woods and her team were investing in companies that had... Woods. There um, it is again. <laughs> Kathy and her team, they were investing in things that were really high growth. So the ARK Innovation ETF is down a whopping 60% this year. And then the two ETFs I mentioned, so the 3D print ETF is down 41% and the Israeli one is down 39%. So it's just, you know, I wanted to talk about that because obviously she makes headlines a lot. But all that to say, I know we, we kind of laugh at the chief futurist, but... I'm not laughing. I'm jealous. Yeah. I'm changing my title. Chief futurist. <laughs> but it, it's still a good thing to have succession plan in place for sure. No, I think that makes sense. Especially like like I said, you know, out of nowhere, something like she retires or like whatever moves on and then fund flows just evaporate. Because you know they know her their shareholder base. Yeah. People are in and out of that stuff all day long. So mm-hmm. they don't want fund flows to, to be so attached to to the namesake. So I mean I think that I think that makes sense. Arc 3D print ETF. Oh my god. Yeah, I didn't even know that. that what a yeah. speculative <laughs> thing to purchase. Isn't 3D printing wasn't that big like eight, nine years ago? Like everyone was like, I think those tech shows, there was one year where like yeah, everything was, was yeah, 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 everything was 3D printing. It's kind of funny that they have that. But anyways, it, it was just, I thought it was an interesting article I came up across. And, you know, I'm sure there might be some people that listen to us that maybe have a little bit in that fun. Or I know we have some people that listen to us that at least have Tesla, which has been her, one of her best calls, right? Yeah, that call that she got roasted for and it became true. Hey. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. I mean, hey, make bold predictions every once in a while. They, they turn out. Two thoughts here. One, 3D printing was <laughs> such a fad. It's not that it doesn't have merit. 3D printing is cool. I've 3D printed a bunch of stuff. It's sweet. It's, you know, you can get so granular with the amount of detail and, and applications. But when it came out, it was like, this is the new wave. You're not going to make food. You're just going to print it. Or like anytime you want a new phone, you're just going to print the phone. It got so outrageously far ahead of the actual product like roadmap of what 3D printing could become. And so that was a bit of a sham. Now, you were saying, you know, we always joke about how you say Kathy Woods, like Tiger Woods. Did you follow about how Tiger Woods turned down $800 million? For the Live Tour? Is that it? For the Live Tour. I heard about yeah, that. Yeah. For the Live Golf Tour. Yeah. This man turned down $800 million to go play golf for the Saudi golf tournament. Funny thing. enough, though, but he doesn't really need it. <laughs> as weird as no, it is. No, no, he doesn't need it. Yeah. And clearly, the guy's not motivated by that money. But can we just talk about how ridiculous that amount of cash is? Like, their acquisition cost to get people's eyeballs it's like i'll spend anything to try to disrupt the pga tour they're either gonna like fold in a couple years because it's a complete capital incineration model or you know something's got to give here with the whole golf industry yeah yeah honestly i think 
if Woods had switched over, I think they had a better chance of succeeding. Maybe they still will. I don't know golf enough. You know, I follow it a little bit. But, you know, for me, golf is more interesting when Tiger Woods is there. It's that simple. I don't care if he has zero chance to win. I'm probably going to watch a little bit if he's playing. If he's not playing, I'd really, I couldn't care less. Yeah. When he came back and won the Masters, I was literally like, I was crying. Dude, if you ever feel down on yourself, just go on Google and just watch Tiger Woods swing a golf club and you'll be like, okay, this is just literally the easiest thing to watch ever. So well, let's round it yeah. out with our last. <laughs> we still have a one earnings uh, discussion or one earnings company to talk about. And this one's not a good one. So it's Aurora Cannabis. They released their full year 2022 results, a little bit of wonky schedule here. Now, revenues decreased 9% to $221 million. They had a positive gross margin compared to a negative gross margin last year. So ding, ding, ding. That's always a trend in the right direction. It's still not great. Gross margins are at 9.5%. Their net loss more than doubled versus last year. However, I will hand it to them. If you do remove goodwill impairment, it was actually lower than last year. And they had massive goodwill impairment. It was obviously related to some of the bad acquisitions they did mm. in the past uh, three, four years, five years, I think at this point. They were free cash flow negative to the tune of $142 million, but that's an improvement versus $263 million last year. Now, you know, we've been pretty consistent here that the cannabis space was just not a good investment for the past three years, even as stocks were going down in value. I mean, I know a lot of people were thinking a year or two ago, you know, it may be some value plays, but, you know, I'll hand it to Aurora Cannabis. They are making tough decisions to try and get the company back on track or on track. I don't I don't think it was ever on track. <laughs> <laughs> get it back on off on track yeah exactly and they laid it unfortunately obviously they had to make tough decisions so they laid off 12 percent of their workforce earlier this year in their efforts to cut costs things are improving but they still have a whole lot of work to do and i cannot say that loud enough i don't think i need to tell anyone that burning 142 million in cash on 221 millions in revenues is not good now, the last thing I will say here is to be careful looking at earning releases for companies that are struggling because they will put some wonky stuff on those earnings release. And I'll just read the top two lines in bold of their earnings release. Number one is remains number one Canadian licensed producer in high margin global medical cannabis revenues. International medical cannabis net revenues increased 35.4% from Q4 2021 and 70.3% from fiscal 2021. Now, that might sound good. But then when you look at the... I'm buying shares. That sounded great. Yeah. What do I invest? When you look at the financial statement, you realize that medical cannabis as a whole of all their revenues is only 16%. And international revenues as a whole of all their revenues is only 28%. So this might look good, but these are just tiny portions of the business. And that the fact that they put that as the number one thing in bold at the top of their earnings release 
it really shows you that they're trying to project any kind of good news that they can project. And then the second... That just reads, what are you hiding? Exactly. Because good companies will say, you know, revenues increased this amount from last year, same store sales, whatever it is, they're actually things that matter. And then the second line, they said that they reiterate adjusted EBITDA profitability run rate by December 31st, 2022. <laughs> now, seriously. What are what those adjustments? <laughs> like... WTF is going on here. Like, first of all, yeah, obviously, like, I don't know what their adjusted EBITDA, like, measure is, first of all. And those adjusted measures, for the most part, like, you have to take those with a grain of salt. Sometimes it makes sense, but I do not know if this one makes sense or not. And then they're trying to project the run rate, you know, by the end of December 31st, 2022. So that's a stretch. And the fact that these are the top two lines in bold at the top of the earnings release, that should tell you all you need to know in terms of how they're doing it as a business. It's like, Aurora, can you tell me what is in your adjusted EBITDA profitability run rate? And they're like, yeah, it's like our sales and we just don't include any of the costs. <laughs> and you're like, oh, okay, I'm a little confused. Where do I sign up? Where do I buy shares? Dude, this is crazy, man. This is this is crazy. Yeah. And I'm not surprised that S&P TSX launch them out of the index. Yeah, but I think it's just a good thing to highlight because I know we, you know, we get people asking about these penny stocks or junior miners pretty frequently. And, you know, companies that are struggling as like value plays and things like that. One thing you can quickly identify whether, you know, the company's in trouble or not is things like I just mentioned. If you're noticing on their earnings release that they're highlighting stuff that is really marginal further results, chances are that they're not telling you about the important stuff because it's really not good. Yeah. It's like, where are you hiding the dead bodies? Like, you know, like it's just the smoke, there's fire. This thing's quacking like a duck, sounds like a duck. It's a duck. There's so many, the, the writing was just so on the wall for however long we've done this podcast. Yeah. And it's too bad because I I know more kind of beginner investors will probably just rely on just that little paragraph and say, oh, look, things are improving. Yeah. But if you kind of scroll down and go to the financial statements and you actually start looking at the numbers, yeah, it does not take long. It took me about like five minutes to just see like, you know, I, w- I think I was fair. They are improving compared to last year, but they're still in a whole lot of trouble. That's the reality here. Yeah, that is the reality. And... I feel bad for a lot of people who in 2019, 2018 jumped on, I think it was mostly 2018, right? Jumped on the, the cannabis thing because you were an idiot if you didn't own one of Aurora or Canopy. You were an idiot if you didn't own one of those names because they just keep doubling every other week. You know, Aurora in October of 2018, and I get it, it's, it's impossible to value a company with huge potential on any multiple, but it traded for 225 times their sales. Like, what does the company have to do for me to make money there? Like, well, you can do the math. Like, they have to become the global superpower yeah. And selling, they have to be the global drug dealer of weed. I was going to say they have to start supplying the U.S. Basically, yeah, yeah they have to start supply, uh, and everywhere else yeah. too, right? Mm-hmm. Like, 
And so it's just, it's a valuable lesson and it's a painful and expensive lesson for a lot of Canadians who jumped on this. And so like, if you're one of those people, don't be down, don't feel silly. Everyone makes mistakes. Hopefully you're just listening to the podcast and not like us hearing us being like, this is the dumbest thing ever. But if not, don't feel bad. It's it's a mistake that a lot of people have made and maybe they turn it around, but I wouldn't be betting on that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've talked about it before. When I first started investing, when I was 18, I invested in a junior miner because of, you know, the, a friend of a friend, you know, thought it was good investment. I invest, ended up losing everything because they went bankrupt. But it was, I think to this day, I think it's the best thing that ever happened to me because I learned a valuable lesson and I do not invest in junior miners miners anymore i can tell you that what about if you got some really sexy stock tips you know like <laughs> you're at the bar you know some guy your buddy just comes up to you knows you have, you have an investing podcast and he goes Simon, my uncle's buddy's friend's son works for this mining exploration company and he just gave me word that bredo's mining exploration company just hit gold, but it's not public information and you got to get out on the ground floor. What do you say to that? How enticing does that sound? Sounds you pretty You will good. see the best fake <laughs> smile I've ever had and I will definitely tune out and I'll be thinking about, yeah, probably, you know, topics for the next podcast, mountain bike, the Blue Jays or something else or my daughter or yeah, I will definitely tune out and I'll have a fake <laughs> smile on. Well, you're a nice guy. For just, you know, being along for the motor mouth and store that you would have got at the bar for that junior mining company. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. If you're new here, well, if you're not new here, you know, number one podcast in Canada for investors. Duh. This is not just my opinion, although it is my opinion. These are in the numbers. So just know that. We release episodes Mondays and Thursdays. Mondays and Thursdays. We talk earnings on Thursday and Monday, we talk general strategy, you know, what we're doing with our portfolio, how we're thinking about stuff. Sometimes I go on long tangents about gravity and how you can put that into your investment port. Dude, people like that, by the way. They, we got some comments about that one. They like that one. If you haven't checked out stratosphere.io, it's where we get a lot of the data for this podcast, including granular KPIs and segment data. And if you don't care about that stuff, well, I think you should because it'll make it easier for you to track the positions you own. But if you just want 10 years of historical financial data and much more, it's completely free at stratosphere.io. If you do want to sign up, you do want to whip out their credit card and you want to pay, which is not required because a lot of it's free. But if you do, use code TCI for the listeners of the show. We'll give you 15% off. We'll see you in a few days. Take care. Bye-bye. The Canadian Investor Podcast should not be taken as investment or financial advice. Braden and Simon may own securities or assets mentioned on this podcast. Always make sure to do your own research and due diligence before making investment or financial decisions.